But today we began a brand new series of messages, and Pastor Peter and I are swapping today. Part of the reason why that is, is fresh off a heart attack, uh, nobody wants to see the guy that's speaking absolutely can't finish. So uh, I'm here to do two messages, and this stool sitting back here, in case I get tired, I'm just going to sit down and talk with you if, if it comes to that. But this new series of messages is called We Are Family. And today we're going to turn our attention to the new identity that brings us together. And so I would like for you to take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 will be a a focus of our time. But I would also like to turn your attention to Mark chapter 3. So if you want to put your finger in there. Just hang on, we're going to touch on each of these passages. But we're going to begin by looking at, really, the framework of identity. The framework of identity. And how it applies to you. I have found that many churches find themselves full of all different types of folk. And we have that even in this room today. Some of you were raised in church. I know a little bit about you. You know what it was like to go to church. Your family took you to church every single week. Well, part of the challenge that comes with that is unbeknownst to you is this faith in Jesus just kind of becomes an assumption. It's just kind of what happens. For we all want to go to heaven. You believe that Jesus died for you. And it's beautifully simply and frankly what happens to many individuals who grew up that way. No root takes place. And when I say no root takes place, what happens is there's a right set of beliefs that you've kind of always known. But Christianity has become kind of this for you. It's distinguished by what you do and what you don't do. And faith is viewed as very much a private matter. That's lived out, but it's kind of an individual transaction with God. And that's what you've known. Then there's individuals who sit here today that the Christian faith has become much more. Let me tell you kind of how that goes often. Individuals sit here who have this experience sometime in their life where they, they have this moment when they suddenly realize, well, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. The preacher's talking about me. I'm that sinner. I'm that guy. And there is a Savior. And so life takes on a different look for you. And then there's others that come today to church all over America with zero religious background. And they come surely unconvinced. And, un, and maybe even confused about what all this thing is that we do, why we meet in strip malls, why we meet in school, what, what all this is about. And the challenge for those that sit here like that today is they really wonder, does Christianity really give a living hope? Because they feel at this moment very desperate. They feel at this very moment very alone. And maybe that's you, you're very confused. And I want to assure you on the authority of God's word, there is, there's real, real hope. Something that will change your life. And when we come to the New Testament, 
the quintessential cornerstone of the Apostle Paul's teaching is made up in two little words. You look at these 13 letters that he wrote, there really are two little words that come up over 125 times over and over and over and over again. And if you really want to understand how God wants you to see your life after you've trusted Christ, you've got to understand these two little words. And those two little words are in Christ. And the book of Ephesians puts it right out there in your face. And it's about identity. See, none of us in this room just exist. And we kind of feel like that way sometimes. We get up, we survive, and we go back to bed. And we get up and survive and go back to bed. And our routine has us such that we are not really always aware of how we're interpreting life. But all of us are amateur philosophers, theologians, and archaeologists. We don't just exist. And this is one of the reasons why your children are always going to ask why. Why? Why this? Why that? Why that? To where you want to pull your hair out. Because they are learning. I don't just exist. Where do I fit? What is the meaning of my life? And it's not something that's just new. When Paul addresses this and he wants you to understand this, it goes back to the ancients. Even in the book of Genesis, I want you to understand that this heart cry has been there from the beginning. Who am I? What is my identity? Where do we fit together? What is this family thing that Christianity is about? What is that? In fact, in Genesis chapter 11... When you look at the story of the Tower of Babel, what you need to understand at the heart of that story is a group of people that said, we need security. Let's build this tower. And what, if you look at close inspection, it says this. They say, and let us build a name for ourselves. You know what that means? Identity. Moses in Exodus chapter 3 When God says, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh. What's Moses' first word back to God? Who am I that I should go? We're always wondering, where do we fit? And some of you have made an identity in a variety of things. Maybe for you, it's family legacy. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's how much you earn or the nationality that you know Uh, In your life. Maybe you see things that you're passionate about. I know individuals who make an identity out of living sustainably, eating local. Does anything of this sound familiar? Maybe it's sports and everything in between. But what I want you to understand about this is this is this, this. questioning that we have about who we really are, unless you answer it right, you're going to conclude that life is all about just you. And when you come to that conclusion, what happens is you never become what God intended for you to become. We don't become who God intended us to be. So we're going to spend some time today talking about this. So take your Bible, Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you what Paul had to say right up front. 
I tell you what, in honor of God and the reading of God's word, would you stand with me, please? So Paul wrote this letter. These people did not know him personally. They knew him by reputation. And this is how, what he wrote. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. That is a long run-on sentence. All right? But we're going to go back. We're going to unpack this. Verse 11, he says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You may be seated. God bless the reading of His Word. What's your go-to when someone says, tell me about you? Is it you're married? Is it where you work? It's easily the go-to. Who are you? How do you unpack who you really are? Is it who your family is? All the trappings of that? The Apostle Paul wanted God's people to have a go-to. Of all of his teaching of these 13 letters, there's nothing more central that he wanted you to comprehend than your identity. And it is to have a profound impact on who we are. So let me show you. Let's just take this passage just for a moment and let's look at what he says that is yours in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 1. Paul first says this. He writes and he says, by the will of God, he's an apostle. And then he says, he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. First thing he wants you to know is this. You may not look like a saint, you may not feel like a saint, but if you trust Jesus Christ, no matter what your background, God calls you a saint in Jesus Christ. That means that God took you from where you were and in Jesus set you apart and you are brand new set apart for him. That's what that means. That's what sanctification means, set apart. You may not feel like it and you may know that you don't always live like that, but that is the reality of who you are. You are a saint in Jesus Christ. Verse 3. 
Look at what he says about you. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ. There those two words are. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what he is saying is this. That you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that you're ever going to need. Everything that you need has been set apart for you in this relationship in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 4. He says, just as he chose us, there it is again, in him. 125 times in the New Testament, Paul writes about being in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. And he says here that you were chosen in Christ. Verse 5 and 6. He does not leave it there. You were not just drafted. But look in verse 5 and 6. He says, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. So you are saints. You're blessed with everything you need. You're chosen. You're adopted. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. What that means is this. Redemption means, in the Greek, the early language. We don't get it quite because we don't talk about being redeemed in everyday language with people. What that means is this, is that God went and got you and bought you back. You were owned by another. Christ bought you through his blood. You belong to him In Christ Jesus. And you were adopted. You weren't just accepted. You were adopted. And you were redeemed. Then in verse 13. Look at what he says. In him when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And believed in him. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who is a guarantee. Of an inheritance. Now, you may not know this right now, but there is an inheritance laid up for you in Jesus Christ. And it's better than what you can dream. Your your mind, my mind, we just can't quite get our hands around it. But in Jesus Christ and purchased at the cross, there was granted for you an inheritance in him far beyond anything you could ever imagine. And now now I want you to notice this. All of these, every one of them, you can go back and read this later. It has absolutely nothing to do with who? You. All done by God for you. All for you. Now why? Why is this significant? When we talk about identity, why is this really significant? Because of what you're experiencing right now. And you maybe maybe you won't you don't feel this right at this moment. But you will. Just hang around long enough. There'll be moments in your life that you really know what it's like to feel insignificant. You know what it's like to feel alone. You know what it's like to feel out of touch, unconnected. Some of you come to this room today with that. And Grace Fellowship, because we hold high orthodoxy, we appropriately teach that there is one God and he is sovereign. And our greatest need is for a savior. However, 
there's unintended consequences that happen from that strong, good, and right teaching. You know what that unintended consequence is? It's a view that often translates in your life like this. I'm just a little old sinner saved by grace. I'm just a little old sinner saved by grace. Oh, whoa, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Before you start chunking tomatoes at me, listen to me. That may be true. That may be accurate. But when you stop there and understanding your identity, it minimizes the grace of God. Because the grace of God moves toward you with life-altering love, with an inheritance, with a redemption, with a change. You are no longer what you were. You were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not significant. You are a child of the King. That's who you are. And we forget it. Many years ago, I heard Jesse Jackson tell of being a guest of the King of Jordan. Now, most of Jackson's sermons I would forget, but this I remembered. He said that he was unprepared for all the security that surrounds the king. And he was invited to be a guest. So he went to Jordan. He said, nobody knew me. And there I was walking around with the king. He said it was nerve-wracking for the king was constantly on the move. And there were people always pressing trying to get near him. And so I asked him, I said, what do I do when I get separated from you? What happens if that happens? What happens? The king told me, he said, that if you get separated, tell those that are holding you back. Tell the security that you're with the king. The king knows me. I'm with the king. Just tell him, I'm with the king. He knows me. And sure enough... It did not happen quickly, but it happened. I was positioned well off the platform in an evening when the king was giving a speech. And after the speech, the crowd rushed close, crowd pushing, and I was just blending into the masses. And I began to hear, I began to say, hey, I know the king. I know the king. And so the security had turned to look at the king, and the king was waving me over. Because I knew the king. I'm with the king. And he said, Christians would do well to remember. You're with the king. You belong to Jesus Christ. You may feel like it's difficult to understand really where you are in this world. You know what it's like to have problems. You know what it's like to live in Job 14.1 that says our days are full of trouble. Our days are full of disappointment. Family and friends do not do what you want them to do. Promotions at work did not come as expected. You know what it's like to be discouraged. You know what it's like to be scarred by sin from others. And listen to me. You know what it's like to be scarred by bad decisions on your part. You seem so similar to those around you, but at the same time, you know that you're so different. And we define ourselves in all kinds of ways. Race, ethnicity, 
Whether we have a white-collar, blue-collar job, whether we vote Democrat, Republican, or Independent, whether we're single, we're married, on and on and on it goes. And it screams to identify us. But the reality is what those things often do is they actually separate us. We began to focus on those things. God's people began to separate. So in the time that we have left, what I want to do is this. Now that I've set the ground that we don't always know who we are, I want to ask this question. I want to answer it. How does God really want you to see your spiritual life? And how should this identity really shape us? How does trust in Christ change the way you live your life out going forward? How does it really change it? How is this thing that we are family, how should it really shape how we're living in our individual lives. So let's answer that today. Number one, when you are in Christ, you are far more than you are on your own. And frankly, it should really shape how you think about yourself. How you think, what goes on in your brain, how you are thinking about yourself. How often do you really lose touch with who you really are? And it's a constant temptation. And I've already covered some of this. And Paul wrote the way he did in this book because he wants believers to understand this is who you really are. This is who you really are. This is who who God intended you to identify yourself as. How he wants you to see your life. Versus you looking at your life of all the regrets of shame. All the regrets of poor choices. And all the best efforts that simply won't get you over the hump. You know what it's like that they're not enough. Maybe you sit here today, you've been challenged by health. Maybe you know what it's like. Your budget is broken and your will is weak. You want to be different. But you simply know deep down, I blow it. See, what God wants you to do is begin to see yourself in light of who you are in Christ. When you trust Jesus Christ, things radically change. And if they have not radically changed, you have every reason to ask yourself, am I truly biblically a believer? Now, this does not mean you won't struggle. This does not mean you will not fail. In fact... I think that failure and that weakness will only come to bear in your face even more. But in Jesus Christ, bought for you through the cross, is a brand new you. And you are new. And you've got to begin living in it. But here's what you and I need to really grasp. When we say the gospel is good news and we talk about the good news of the gospel... And the believer's identity in Jesus Christ. You need to know and understand that God looks at you. Yes, you. Looks right at you. Through the work of his son. And he grants you everything that you need for a new life. A new perspective on you. A new identity in who you are. Instead of reference constantly to your shattered past. Yes, there's a time to look back and say, that's what I was. But this is who I am now in Jesus Christ. And we spend so much time about 
focusing on the shame and regret. We somehow think that that's godly. And as I said, what that does is that often minimizes what God has done for you in Jesus. It pushes down the grace that's poured out for you. In Christ must begin to shape your thinking. If it doesn't, maybe you're going to be a whole lot like me. You'll have these moments where you, you just struggle with wondering, what does my life mean now? See, your life, my life, is more is to be more about, our, about the big kingdom of God versus the little kingdom of what you, you can carve out. Your life is meant to be so much more. And your family, frankly, is to be so much more than what you have known it to be. Number two, seeing your spiritual life, God wants you to understand that when your identity is in Christ, your view of others changes. Not only does your thinking about yourself change, but God intends that your view of other people really radically changes and it should shape how you interact with others. And until we come to grips with the reality is that you've been pulled in, you did not pull yourself in, you don't climb your way up, you don't clean yourself up, God reaches and pulls you in to Christ Jesus and pulls you into the family of God, you're going to struggle in understanding who you really are and what God intended you to do. All right. That's okay. That's all right. God bless. Maybe he reads it better than I do. All right. I would like for you to understand that God wants you to begin seeing something beyond really you. Christ has purchased not only you, and in America especially, we've made Christianity this private transaction, these private devotions, this private growing up, private, private, private. But the reality is, you are so much more than just you. God redeemed a people. God redeemed more than just you. Look with me. You have your Bibles. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. So right after Ephesians 1, and he lays out who you are in Christ Jesus, he turns his attention to the broader subject. The broader subject of really what they were, these people that he writes, and what God has done for them. Let me show you. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says, Therefore remember that at one time you, Gentile, you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what, by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You say, well, Brian, what is that? Man, it's like a context. There's a whole lot in that little place right there. Bottom line is this. Everyone surrounding the Jewish community understood, understood 
that Jews saw themselves as the people of God. And they were. And those that were outside the Jewish circles did not really understand, really, who this Jehovah God was. And Paul is saying to these Gentiles right here, prior to what Christ did for you, you were outside the kingdom of God. But God has brought you in, and he's drafted these people together. You are one in Christ Jesus. You were outside, now you're in. So what does that look like today? After God has acted, what does this mean for you and I? Because we don't have a great deal of emphasis right now. Most of us don't have a great deal of emphasis on, okay, well, uh, I was at one time, I was outside, now I'm inside, and you know, that person is from this nationality and that one's from that. that. That's not our MO. But you need to understand that from the standpoint of Scripture, there's people of every nationality in the kingdom of God. Every color, every flavor, God reaches toward them. Irish, German, African, Asian, Jewish, Arabic, in Christ, we are one in Christ Jesus. If you are married, you are one together. In Christ, bought both of you. But let me explain what this means in the context of family. What happens to many married people is they forget what it's like to be what? Single. And do you know that God saves single people? And married people in the family of God ought to be reaching across the aisle towards single individuals. And single individuals, you are not weird because you're single. I have found that most single adults that I talk to who are Christian, they don't want to talk about being a single adult. You know why? Because at least they know inside, I'm more than by singleness. I'm not just waiting to get married. In fact, some of you may never get married. But in the reality of the kingdom of God, God intends for us to move toward one another. Let's go a little deeper. What is Paul talking about? That there's no these, 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 all these distinctions we make. Maybe you're sitting here and you're heterosexual. Did you know that those that struggle with same-sex attraction who trust in Jesus Christ are just as much your brother and sister to enjoy as followers of Jesus Christ and to engage life with as the person who struggles with any other uh, sinful thing? No different. Period, no different. We are the ones that make those distinctions. God does not because in the cross he bought a kingdom people of every flavor and color who are united in Jesus Christ, period. Period. Maybe you were raised in a family where integrating deep, meaningful relationships, loving relationships just didn't occur. You don't know what that's like. You, 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 just, you just didn't do that. You said, well, Brian, what are you talking about? 
Somebody I respected very much in my lifetime, I heard counsel. A person asked this guy, I was sitting in the room, and I loved this man. He was very articulate, and he was very bright, but he also was very wrong. And he was asked this question, should a person who's white marry a person who is black? Here was the response of that man. He says, there's no Bible against it, but I don't think it's a good idea because it would impact your children. What? What does that mean? What does that mean biblically? Forget what the culture does or does not do. What does that mean biblically? There is no grounds in the New Testament in Jesus Christ for us to be treating anybody else differently than how we treat someone more like us than different than us. As the family of God, you are called to live in a life other than being vanilla. Don't be vanilla. I asked my wife. I'm convinced vanilla was the first ice cream. And it remained... The only ice cream, the first ice cream, until somebody got a bright idea, let's make it better than that. Vanilla for me is good to put something else on. That's it. Amen. Give me some hot fudge, some strawberry, give me something else. Because to me, vanilla is just clear. And I am telling you, I'm about as vanilla as it gets sometimes. All right? Figuratively. God intended me to live so much different than that. God intended for me to know and understand that in Jesus Christ, I am no longer a lily-white Irishman. I belong to Jesus. And other men and women belong to Jesus. Of every flavor, of every challenge, of every persuasion, those individuals... In Jesus Christ are my brothers and sisters, and I am to be about building bridges toward them. In fact, I want you to know it's not just about building bridges to others. Number three, I want you to understand is when your identity is in Christ, the reality is, is it raises the stake of community. It raises the stake of really who you belong to. It should even impact your view of family. So I told you there'd be two passages I want to focus on. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 3, and I want you to see what Je- how Jesus talks about family. The Scriptures give all kinds of word pictures about the people of God, but one of those pictures, one of the most profound pictures, is the picture of family. Mark chapter 3. And when I say to you, when your identity is in Christ, it raises the stake of community. It should even impact your view of family. Some of you already have gone, oh, Brian, isn't that a sweet religious platitude? Family. I want you to understand that when we look at this passage of Scripture, there's nothing sweet in this passage of Scripture. In Mark chapter 3, we are witnessing one of the most painful moments line-drawing moments that you're going to experience in the Gospels. 
this thing about family. It's a hard, painful passage it was for Jesus and for those of us who sit in this room today hearing this message because the lines of allegiance are actually drawn. Let me show you. Mark is the shortest gospel. And in this particular uh, place, it takes a chunk of the gospel. So there is a lot to be learned here. And we find as Jesus is teaching, he's teaching in a house and a bunch of followers have come to listen to him. And in Mark chapter 3, down in verse 20, what happens is this. His family back home has heard about, he's drawing these crowds and he's teaching some radical things. His earthly family finds out his, his half-brothers, his mother are going. They want to go, oh my goodness, he's at it again. Let's go find out. Let's go, let's go see. Look, look with me. So in verse 21, it says, And when his family heard it, has heard about this teaching, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Now, they went out to seize him. This word is an important word. Seize is the same Greek word that parents would understand of what it means to come along and take your child by the hand and lead them from their foolishness. You know what that means? Like, hold on, son. You know what it's like to take your kid by the hand? Kind of pull him away? That's what this is about. They, they intend to go and take Jesus by the hand and pull him away. And then the strange thing happens. This passage is inter, interrupted in verses 22 down to 30, where Jesus is encountering the religious crowd. And then we come back to the story in verse 31. Look at verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers uh, are outside. Uh, they're seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. We want Jesus, often what we want him to do, is we want him to define things in ways where we can easily understand and we want it to neatly fold into the way we think it ought to be. This is not one of those places. In fact, lines are being drawn. Just like I said, this is not a sweet passage. It's about your identity and how the impact of it raises your stake of who really is family. See, what we try to do is we, we'd like for Jesus... Uh, we'd like it to him to settle the claims on our life, but we want it to meet our sensibilities. As long as he does not rock the boat too much, as long as he does not create an awkward moment, we're okay with that. But what happens that when we look at close inspection on a passage like this, when Jesus says, well, who are really my family? Who's really family? Who's really brothers and sisters? 
So when I ask you, who really do you identify as family? Do you have disdain, actually, for some people who are not just like you? Do you kind of look down on them? Do you kind of uh, have a disregard for those who struggle with things that you just don't understand? Why can't they just get their life right? Maybe you're that individual who sits in this room today and you're extremely disciplined. And you just can't understand people who are not disciplined. Or maybe you're that individual who sits in this room today and everybody who's disciplined and everybody who wears a necktie, you think is just kind of uptight. Come on, let's be honest. Swing, door swings both ways. Do you know? Do you know them? Do you really know them? Do you really understand where they are? Do you understand that their eyes have been opened to believe just like yours? Do you understand that people who have different struggles than you have trusted Christ just like you? Do you understand that? Do you understand that people who have made the choice of different careers and, and, and different education very much have trusted Christ just like you? And I began to talk about family. Some of you really know what it means to have the pain of family rejection. You really know what it's like. Maybe some of you can identify with me. So I was the first individual in my family that had a college education. And after I uh, finished my undergraduate work at UK, uh, I was preparing to go to seminary and I'd met with my brother who was 16 years older than I was and he was bigger than life to me. And when I told him that I was going to seminary, he looked at me and replied, And Brian, to think that we all believe that you were the ones with brains in our family. So painful that even to this day, I remember exactly where I was sitting and exactly how it felt. Some of you know the pain of rejection of family. And some of you also understand that that same kind of thing can happen not only with our earthly families, but it can happen in the church too. And this is the thing that God's people must constantly guard themselves against. We must understand that when Christ bought us through faith in Him, that He's brought every tribe and people and tongue and flavor And he has melted us together. And we are to be witnesses of something brand new. You are not to be identified with all these other things. All these things that we do. And we we identify all kinds of things. Do you know in in, uh, John chapter 6. Followers of Jesus came around him and they said. We... We just want to get busy. We, we want to do the works of God. We want to do it. 
Does anybody remember what Jesus said, what the works of God were? The works of God was to believe. The work of God that changes you from who you are, who you were, to who you are new in Jesus Christ is the act of faith plus nothing. And the person across the aisle from you and across the city from you in Florence right now, the distinguishing marks, the differences has nothing to do with what we're doing. What is distinguished about us is our faith in Jesus Christ, period. And we must be God's people that move toward one another. We're not to be people that are constantly trying to distinguish ourselves by, oh, we do this and we don't do that and we do this and we don't do the other and that person does that. And there's definitely none of those type of people in our, our church. Be careful. Be careful. Those are the things that separate in Christ Jesus through faith. We're made brand new in one. We are new. We are family. And we're going to un- in, the co- in the coming weeks, we're going to talk lots about this. What does this mean? How should it impact us? How should we live because of it? Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as I, as I pray for you, they're going to prepare to lead us in a response. When, cry, when Paul says, we are in Christ... He is to become our life. We have no life in ourselves, And being made right with him through mercy and grace, we now are to move to others with mercy and grace. Lord, help us do that. No, no, Lord, don't help us do that. Because we can't muster it up. Please grant that to us. Please give us a heart that sees ourselves new in Jesus Christ. That we're the redeemed. That other people who are just like us, that are similar to us, who've trusted Jesus, they're the redeemed. And those that are different than us, that that grew up differently than us, who are challenged with things that are different than ours, when they come to trust Jesus, they are our brothers and sisters. We are family. Lord, help us to behave and respond to you as a family, caring for one another, reaching to one another, lifting one another up, being merciful to one another. Help us. Lead us as your people, Lord, in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.